You are listening to the Red Leaf Retrocast, gaming, anime, and wrestling. Your best location to learn, remember, and relive the past to the present. We watch old and seasonal anime, play old and new video games, and watch all the wrestling we can. You are listening to the Wrestling Cast episode, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Red Leaf WrestleCast, episode 33, titled Superstars of Dominion. I'm your host, JD, of course, going solo yet again. Great episode today. I'm quite excited. Uh, Our usual, um, with uh, some Joshi wrestling, of course. We got some Lucha to talk about, which I'm very excited. It hasn't been a lot of uh, Lucha Libre Uh, For me to discuss this year in 2019, well, I'm happy that's going to be fixed. I am getting my lucha through, naturally, MLW, Major League Wrestling, uh, from the Fusion Lucha Libre style over there. Got uh, Uncharted Territory continuing. Yes, I did go to another show and a secret show that happened in Boston. So that will be covered in the weekly recap there. Lots of stardom to catch up on it as well as we're all leading into uh, their big shows in Sapporo and Corican Hall uh, in uh, mid-June, so that'll be discussed in the next episode. WXW is back with uh, with a fury, which I'm really happy to say, uh, Superstars of Wrestling coming off the uh, the heels of True Colors, uh, of course with Rhodes and Superstars of Wrestling as well. Uh, then finishing off with uh, the Boss J Final and Dominion over in New Japan. Some fantastic fucking matches over there. And to finally uh, finish recapping everything, WCW Nitro from June 29th, 1998. Approaching the downturn is imminent. <laughs> and then wrestling wrestler rankings as usual. So, uh, shout out to... The new collaboration site and podcast, the Anime Radicals, just did an E3 uh, cast over there with Leo from the Nerdum and Other Nonsense podcast, whom was also great enough to guest on the latest Modern Cast episode from May of 2019, and a little bit of E3 talk, a little preview. And if you're into retro gaming, naturally go check out the Arcade Game Room Discord. If you want a link to that, just hit me up on Twitter, at BowlingJD, RedleafRetroCast. Uh, good little Discord community there, talking about all things retro gaming. Yes, that is the new home of Retro Twitch. The uh, the owner of Retro Twitch had to unfortunately shut it down, so most of the community moved over to Arcade Game Room. Pretty fun. And if you want to leave this podcast a nice little review, head on over to iTunes. It only helps us. And helps me get this podcast out there. And with further ado, let's get this thing going. Lucha Libre is where we're starting off hot. I got two matches to talk about specifically. I'm trying to get into a better habit of watching CMLL on Friday nights. 
so I was skimming through the past um, month or so, and I came across one match that really stood out to me. That's from uh, 24th of Mayo del 2019, two out of three falls match. That's 24th of May. Uh, for those that don't know, CMLL does have uh, Friday nights on their YouTube channel for free. Yes, it's all in Spanish, but that's okay. The commentary is way better anyways. Uh, just hearing the uh, announcers just get really into it. I don't know, there's something about commentary being in its native language, watching the native wrestling. Uh, just it, Everything comes across so much better to me anyways. Well, this match was Mistico against Barbaro Cavanario. I love... Uh, Cavanario so much, uh, I hope to see him extend his craft outside of Mexico, much like what we're seeing Dragon Lee, Rush, and Mystico, the three brothers, do. Well, uh, Mystico defeats Cavanario in this match. Uh, this was a heavily advertised match, uh, apparently, if you go over to Lucha Blog. Uh, fight starts out on the ramp during the entrances. I, lo I always love that. It makes it feel like a fight right off the bat. The match matters, uh, especially if the build was proper. I did see a little bit of the build with uh, trios matches and whatnot. Kind of kept uh, skimmed through a lot of that, but immediately goes for Mystico. Cavanario, uh, being being the Rudo, uh, immediately goes for Mystico's max uh, for the advantage. Cavanario retains just the beatdown advantage for about seven minutes. Um, you know, trying to come, Mystico just trying to come back, uh, but to no avail. At the seven minute mark, he amounts this crazy awesome Lucha Libre comeback, flying over the top rope, big tope, uh, going for uh, the Mystico armbar. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the tilt a whirl. We see Lucky Kid do it as well. Um, uh, but Cavanaro gets out of this move and then immediately uh, removes the mask, gets a DQ. So that hot comeback was halted, and uh, he just gets on uh, the the corner turnbuckle, looking at the crowd, flips the mask over his shoulder. He's kind of spitting at the same time. Crowd hates it, loved it. It's a big heel reaction. I love Cavanaro so much. Uh, then it's back and forth, high flying, crazy moves from there. Uh, Mystico, the, I mean things that happen. Mystico jumps off the stage. At one point, big crossbody, uh, does a corner middle rope tope, which is nonsense, it's awesome. Cavanario does a suicide dive through the corner ropes from the apron, so he runs across the apron and dives through the middle rope uh, uh, turnbuckle. And of course his crazy stupido, el stupido top rope splash to the floor as I wait for his knees to just fuck up so bad and he won't be able to get up. I hate that move. It's awesome, don't get me wrong, but... I hate it so much. Uh, it, it, it only shortens his career. Uh, palm of his hands, but yes, Mystico uh, does get the third fall. This is your lightning-type match. Very, two out of three falls is very common uh, in Lucha Libre. Uh, Mystico gets the big win. I uh, love this match. Um, I believe I looked this up to see if uh, Wrestling Observer uh, gave this a star rating because I know... Uh, our Uncle Dave Meltzer over there, he loves uh, CMLL Friday Nights uh, a lot. And he actually gave this match four and a half stars. So, a uh, little backup there. Second match is from Triple A. Uh, they're the um, second biggest uh, Lucha Libre promotion in Mexico uh, with their questionable main event bookings. 
Uh, Triplomania is uh, coming up right on the horizon. That should be a a clusterfuck as usual and very entertaining clusterfuck at that. It's very uh, WCW 2000 type booking. Uh, But yeah, this is uh, on June 9th, 2019. Laredo Kid uh, defending his cruiserweight title against El Hijo del uh, Vikingo. Uh, Laredo Kid's gonna be on the AEW um, Fighter Fest as the uh, the third member joining the Lucha Bros uh, in that trios match. There, very excited. Uh, lots of just awesome flip maneuvers and near falls. This was all about like 450s, springboards, and Spanish flies. Uh, some of my favorites were the uh, so. Uh, Laredo Kid is run so in in AAA they have the uh, entrance ramp uh, on the same plane as the ring apron. So I always like that. I love this. It always makes for some just fantastic maneuvers uh, and see the uh, the wrestlers utilize it differently. Um, so Laredo Kid's running uh, on uh, from this ramp, heading to the ring. Clearly going to do some sort of. Uh, springboard splash, uh, Vikingo, uh, times it where he, where they both meet on the top rope, and it's reversed into a Spanish fly in the middle of the ring, just awesome, I loved it, uh, there was also, uh, a, uh, shooting, uh, shooting star splash, uh, from the ramp to the floor, uh, which is really cool. That was a uh, reversal type maneuver. Vikingo's running uh, from the outside, hitting the middle, the middle rope springboard 450 into the ring. That was my favorite move of the entire match. It's just Vikingo has this innate ability to just have so much speed in his flips. It's um, I can't really compare him to anything I've seen today. Maybe uh, Jack Evans of the past is the closest I can I can think of. And the finish was awesome, too, seeing uh, Laredo Kid uh, grabbing the top rope to break the pin after Vikingo's inward 450, his little uh, his little gainer there. Uh, it does end off a uh, crazy Spanish fly from the top rope. Best lucha match this year, I give it four and three quarters easily. Uh, I love this match. Laredo Kid and uh, Vikingo are fantastic. Um, so I'm very happy to say that the Lucha Libre matches, uh, were just super entertaining. Um, again, I hope to watch more CML Friday nights, uh, going forward. Um, at least, like, shortly before bed and if something, uh, pops out. Um, uh, hopefully there'll be more segments like this. So now, uh, something near and dear to me is, of course, the promotion I discovered last year. Uh, that is Ice Ribbon. Uh, which you can find it if you go to Piroso Dream on Twitter. Uh, he posts um, the backlog there. And so I was able to do a lot of catch-up on Ice Ribbon uh, because they're they're heading into a good rivalry here. So let's just get, get this thing started. I usually don't watch the P's parties. It's P.S. Party. Uh, it's, a, it's generally a three-match card show. It's really short. Um, and the main events are hit and miss. But this time, there was two straight... Uh, Peace Parties that stood out. On Peace Party 29, there was a tag match featuring uh, Julia, the uh, hot start up-and-comer who's had a string of really good singles matches, hasn't won any of them, uh, but has looked really good, a big promising prospect uh, uh, 
Josie wrestler, uh, much of the same vein as Utami, just not getting put over as much to winning all the titles like in Stardom. Uh, well, she teamed with Matsuya on- Uno, who's another rookie, uh, against uh, Maya Yukihi and uh, Takiya Saya, which is interesting. Um, this match goes just over 16 minutes. It was it was quite fun. Uh, basically, Maya carries the two rookies to a really good tag team match. Yes, Uno is 35, but again, rookie, only in her second year, pretty much. Uh, while Julia is someone I spoke about previously having loads and loads of potential. This match only proved that further to me for Julia. Uh, in the end, as the match went on, Saya just kept miscommunicating with Maya first uh, with a springboard top rope crossbody. Still one of my most favorite moves in wrestling. Uh, and then spits water in her face, costing Maya the loss to Uno, of all people. Which is really strange, considering in Osaka, which we're just about to talk about, Julia has a title shot in the main event. So, I think Julia should have gotten the pin here. Uno getting the pin was very strange. Um, I think Julia's the much better prospect. Uh, But I guess Uno being 35, she doesn't have a lot of time left on her career. Not as much as Julia, she's much younger. Um, (laughs) Uno's face upon getting that win was was, uh, quite priceless. Uh, and I do want to mention that Saya teaming with Maya is very interesting because Saya has been on a roll, uh, ever since, at least from what did it for me was ever since, uh, her singles match with Yoshiko, uh, way earlier this year, she, um, she gained that respect moniker, right? That she's, uh, kind of stepped up her game a lot. And, um, at the beginning of the match, Saya holds, you know, sits on the ropes, holds it for Maya, the belt collector. She's got four titles right now, uh, all decked out. She gives her just this smiling, just super smug look, and and uh, Maya just kind of looks at her like, what are you doing? Uh, so was this match, What were, was this miscommunication uh, on purpose to cost Maya, you know, you know the match? I Hey, that's up to you. Um, it sure seemed like it. Well, on to Osaka Ribbon 2. So all this took place in uh, May, early June. Osaka Ribbon 2, um, there were three matches that were really that stood out. Uh, there's Rina Yamashita defeating Satsuki Totoro. Not a big Totoro fan. Uh, it is funny how her name is Totoro. She's kind of uh, bigger and stocky, looks like the anime character a little bit with the big eyes, but, uh, Rima, uh, Rina Yamashita, uh, had a big match against Julia that, that was the match that got me to really look at Julia, uh, in a different way, uh, Rina's, uh, got big dreads, she's a bit more powerhouse looking, uh, this was a powerhouse focused, uh, match mixed with some real poor looking submission technical moves, I mean, bad looking, uh, there was a real weak Boston Crab and an even weaker Sharpshooter, just as a couple examples. Nevertheless, Rena looks uh, real strong yet again and beats another uh, strong opponent. Uh, Ice Ribbon doing a real good job building up their card. You know, who is heading up and who still has more work to do. Uh, Totoro still has more work to do, clearly, and Rena seems to be on um, the more upper mid-card hotshot. Uh, so we'll probably see more, a few more singles matches from Rena like this. Uh, good stuff. Uh, in the meantime, the Kizuna tournament has been going on. It's going on. It's like this, um, it's this tag title or tag match tournament. 
I'm not really sure, like, what the objective here is with the Kizuna tournament. I'm not familiar with it, because uh, it seems to be makeshift tag teams rather than what we're usually familiar with. Uh, and I say that because this tag match here was Risa Sarah and Suzu Suzuki. Suzu Suzuki being a uh, real young uh, talent, uh, defeating Micah Ozaki, who I'm a big fan of, and Takiya Saya, also a big fan of. So this was a real surprise result, mostly because Risa Sara is the current tag champion with Bayayuki. So what is this going to lead to? Is this going to lead to some sort of conflict of interest in the tag tag title picture? I'm not sure. I really thought um, Micah and Takiya Saya should have won. But it does create some more intrigue. It does give me more interested in who Suzu Suzuki is. Uh, this was a good tag match. Highlights like uh, Ozaki piggybacking Saya with her and doing a jumping senton on Suzuki. So she um, she jumps over her, jumps over the downed uh, Suzu. Really showcases a, a good power maneuver. I like Mike Ozaki. She's very unique. Uh powerlifter type, and Saya just has a good little presence with her. Her ring game has really stepped up, again, since that Yoshiko match. Uh, Suzuki was definitely the weakest one in this match, if I had to pick someone. Uh, but she did seem out of place more often than she probably should have. Um, she stood out compared to the other three wrestlers. Uh, Saya really wanting to put some wins together is very obvious by her work, and animosity towards her, towards all of her tag matches, uh, trios matches. It's very apparent to me. Um, she wants these wins. She wants to challenge, right? Uh, Risa Sarah was solid as usual. She has her real tall presence. Um, but it was Ozaki here pulling the match together, uh, just being the po solid powerhouse that she is overall. Uh, the last sequence was down to Sarah and Ozaki. Uh, and, um... The best part, as Sarah hits the Emerald Flosion for the win. So, Risa Sarah looking like a real strong uh, tag partner overall. Um, I really, I, you know, if, I'm glad Suzu didn't get, the, didn't get the pin, and it was the current tag title holder. So, there you go. Ice Infinity title match, Maya Yukihi versus Julia. Uh, this match goes over 20 six minutes and it felt like it was 15 it was very well paced so let me get this started here julia gets a tag title match even though i'm pretty sure i've never seen her win a match or i'm sorry not a tag title match the ice infinity title very confused in the booking here but regardless this turned out to be uh one of my favorite women's matches of the year i'm not sure it's gonna make a top 10 i haven't decided yet i gotta really look at my top 10 list going here uh, much stronger competition this year compared to last year, I will say. I am watching a lot more Joshi, that's for sure. Uh, so we have a big technical start where uh, Julia even bites the forearm of Maya to escape a hold. And this kind of set the, set the tone of the match where Maya proceeds to just kick the shit out of her. And they exchange chops, brawling to the outside there for a few minutes. Uh, strong stuff. Um, then we get Julia spitting water in the face of Maya... So, Maya's now mad. She's pissed off, because now this is two, like, big disrespectful uh, heel maneuvers from the rookie. Maya goes for a, uh, to kick her in the head, um, 
Julia ducks. Maya kicks the post hard with her right leg. Uh, so there's your limb work for the rest of the match. Uh, so this sets a real good pace again. The issue here is Julia proceeds to work on the wrong leg, the left leg, for a little bit. So let's just assume she's working the other leg to completely ground Maya. Uh, after a couple minutes, she does switch uh, to the proper leg and starts working that. Uh, but she does vary, vary the leg work throughout the rest of the match. So it leads me, the viewer, sorry of the match to believe that she's working both legs to comp completely ground Maya's uh, strong uh, kick and knee game that she has. And that that did set the precedent because we didn't see a lot of Maya's uh, moves, her, her strikes in this match. We saw more technical work from Maya. And this was good. This was just good in-ring storytelling because the cool thing is Julia's specialty right now is her long legs in big boot shots. So as soon as a technical ground game started, because Julia wanted to work the legs as they were injured, right? Uh, Maya, being the better technical wrestler, was able to reverse the movers and gain back control. So Maya, even though her strike game was taken out, uh, because Julia's uh, very much the rookie and not a good technical wrestler, uh, this was her downfall, right? Yes, it's it's smart to target the legs and take out Maya's strikes. However, because she still lacks this part of her game, Maya was able to overcome the limb work, right? Uh, I loved it. Uh, the finish, we get some big power moves from both. Uh, as the match goes on longer, the less leg work there is, Maya's able to get back her legs at least, no strikes, but legs to do some of these power moves. Julia hits a pump handle spinning tombstone, which is friggin' sweet. Led to a fantastic near fall. I loved it. Because she does have this kind of pump handle spin slam. Uh, very much similar. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, uh, the um, Stormbreaker from Osprey. Uh, but this was a cool move. I loved it. I want to see more of that move. Maya hits a Lawn Dart overhead bomb. So... You have, you have them set up kind of like the razor's edge or the border toss, but they're, uh, they're flipped, so stomach, lawn dart style. And then she uh, has the arm spread and then uh, pulls her over uh, into a, into a sit-out bomb. Uh, kicks out, and then what was going to be an angel's wing, you know, via Christopher Daniels' maneuver there, but Julia mistakenly tucks her head thinking it was a tiger bomb. She lands just fucking right on her neck. Very scary. Uh, nasty pin to finish the match. Um, Takiya Saya and... Uh, Takiya Saya's similar attire to Julia. They seem to be a, uh, a unit of sorts building here. Uh, and the ref uh, immediately, you know, checks on the neck. It was very scary. It was a very scary moment. Um... You can see GIFs on Twitter. You can go to Ice Ribbon's YouTube channel uh, to see highlights of this match. Very much recommend. Uh, I love this match. The the end the that that ending maneuver was very much a rookie mistake uh, for the Tiger Bomb. It was supposed to be the Angel's Wing uh, via. That's what we've seen from Maya. 
And then, no surprise, Takiya Sai comes out post-match to challenge Mayukihi. I love the booking here. I love the build of Takiya Saya in 2019. Uh, her stringing wins together. Uh, they had some banter. I'm not qu- quite familiar with what they were saying. I don't speak Japanese. Uh, I yeah, I'm a big anime fan, but I'm not. I'm not into you know. I sp- I, I speak more French than Japanese. Let's just say that. Um, so then there's Peace Party 30, and we get a singles match between Takiya Saya and Julia. This goes just under 14 minutes, so a good amount of time. Gets the point across, Saya is indeed worthy of being the next challenger. I like this match, it was very simple, to the point. Saya hits her spinning crucifix bomb, uh, which Sukasa Fujimoto also has that maneuver. Uh, this is Saya's finisher, beats her. Uh, Saya looking very strong, this is how you build a contender. Uh, love it. So, <clears throat> that is, uh, until we get to stardom, the Josie recap. Uh, I very much enjoyed uh, these these three shows from Ice Ribbon. Uh, in fact, I think they were the, the stronger shows compared to what I've seen in stardom the past couple weeks, but I think stardom's going to take it soon. So let me play this drop and we get to our spotlight. Very special today, as I kind of skipped over in the intro. So here we go. Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun. Yes, what you just heard was Ric Flair going crazy in one of his usual promos. Uh, we are talking Ric Flair, NWA US champion number seven, Ric Flair. Uh, my God. So he won the title. From Bobo Brazil, July 29th, 1977. Yep, Bobo Brazil was the last person we, we spoke about. He only ha- had the title for about 22 days. Uh, this was Ric Flair's first NWA US title run. Uh, and before he went on to be uh, the Nature Boy and NWA World Heavyweight Champion in 1981. So, I could go on and on about Ric Flair forever. We all know who Ric Flair is. You know, like a 50-year career, <laughs> just forever. Uh, much like in the in the vein of Terry Funk, wrestled even longer as far as... No, eh, about the same time. So I'm going to concentrate on uh, this one on his NWA US title. Uh, so before his US title, he was a young, spry, early to mid-20s guy. He was a power brawler type. Imagine that. Watch him versus Paul Jones, uh, if you can find it on YouTube. I found a um, kind of a mixed tape of uh, that TV title match versus Paul Jones. You see, you still see very overly bumpy Ric Flair, but he's he's a very different person. He's in way bigger physical shape. Uh, it was astonishing to me, uh, much like watching old non-hardcore Terry Funk, uh, how different it was. Yes, he was still over bumpy Ric Flair, uh, very very animated, but his moves were totally different, his movesets. It was all, it was, it, it was all very much like Wahoo McDaniel, uh, oddly enough, whom we, uh, spotlighted in the past. A lot of gut punches, uh, overhead, um, overhead, uh, 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 like double X handles and all that stuff. Um, then the plane crash happened when Ric Flair was only 26 years old. Crazy. Uh, that was with Johnny Valentine and a few other guys like Mr. Wrestling. Uh, Flair broke his back in three places. He spent a crazy eight months rehab and was astonishingly back wrestling again. 
he was a much slimmer, smaller guy at this point now, and completely adjusted his style to accommodate for his injury, because now he wasn't able to take uh, backdrops the same. He was very, you know, unconsciously afraid of it or whatnot. Uh, he would go on to feud with uh, Steamboat, Roddy Piper, Mr. Wrestling, Jimmy Snuka, and uh, Greg Valentine uh, for the U.S. title. Just, I watched, like, a match from each one of these guys. All fucking amazing, especially the Steamboat matches. Uh, I mean, Ric Flair is one of the few people to have, like, two five-star matches in, like, the same week. <laughs> so, again, I could, I love Ric Flair. He's one of... My favorite wrestlers of all time. I know he's my dad's favorite wrestler. It's crazy. Uh, you can pick any Ric Flair match over a over from the seventies onwards, and you won't be disappointed. Uh, he did get his Nature Boy gimmick in the eighties, um, going against Buddy Rogers, and he was put over in one match. So uh, that's a completely different story in itself. The WCW days is another story in itself. Then the WWE days is another story. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, NWA US champion Ric Flair is a good start to see uh, the the real start and formation of his career. You know, when he went to the Mid-South Wrestling you know, his AWA run uh, was before the plane crash, and if you want to see that bra power brawler type Ric Flair, uh, I recommend that, just from kind of the historical purpose of who he was. Uh, the, rein the reinvention of who he became was quite a, quite a, a sight to see. So, uh, very short on Ric Flair. He could, you know, you could do a whole podcast series on just Ric Flair, uh, like his Inoki match in, uh, North Korea, um, uh, <laughs> all the way to him facing David Flair and Vince Russo in a steel cage in WCW 2000, like, it's nonsense, like, what he's, what he was able to accomplish in his, his long-standing career, so let's just, uh, let's quickly move on from Ric Flair, and go on, I got a lot more to talk about here, gotta keep moving, go on to our weekly wrestling recap, as I find my drop as usual. Yes, MLW Fusion, episode 1661, episode 60 was actually Fury Road. So a lot of the build was heading up to this show in particular. Uh, we get um, opening match Myron Reed losing to Gringo Loco. So uh, Uber babyface for the crowd, Gringo Loco getting a win. Uh, match was just okay. Myron uh, is stopped by a ref for no reason. Um, you know, continuing the story that Myron Reed and Rich Swan are in the conspiracy. The refs are against them. The ref is like, hey man, what you got? The ref Tells Myron he thinks he uh, thinks, you know, Reed has a weapon. Reed just kind of brushes the ref off. Uh, goes for a pin, but uses the ropes. The ref catches him. Myron lo loses his cool and is caught with the spinning tombstone for the loss. Uh, then after that, post-match, Reed does indeed have brass knuckles in his trunks. Hits Gringo Loco. So, um, very confused here with how this was laid out. Uh... I was feeling the conspiracy thing with the refs. I'm just not sure where they're going with this. It's going... This is the thing about weekly wrestling. 
today, compared to the past, compared to the past, we'd see angles uh, built, made, and finished, all within about three to four weeks, right? Because there'd be a, a you'd be building towards a bigger show, a monthly show, right? Uh, what I'm seeing, watching, not WWE obviously, uh, that's the worst weekly wrestling you could watch right now, uh, I'm seeing, like, impact, how I fell out of it, the show, the show is produced very well, it's, it's fun to watch, but the angles are so slow, and they're, they just go on and on and on, and that's what I'm talking about with this Myron Reed, Rich Swan thing, yeah, we get it, the, they, they, uh, they get screwed over by the rest for a couple weeks, they start calling for a conspiracy, putting tape over their mouths. Really cool. Now we're like a month later after the angles built and not, we're, we're getting nowhere. So they got to cut to the chase here and start doing something with Reed and Swan. Uh, cut to Selena De La Renta, my favorite manager in wrestling. She says she is going to be executive producer again in two weeks. Fucking awesome. I loved that Cinco de Mayo show a lot. When she was in charge. Yeah, it led to Promociones Dorado showcase, but that's the point, right? Uh, National Open Weight uh, Championship, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. versus Alexander Hammerstone. Uh, another just okay match. This was the finals to cha- uh, to uh, crown the inaugural Open Weight uh, Champion. Uh, it went real slow in, pl- in places. Uh, something about this just didn't click. What did click was the beauty of Pillman's glorious bleach blonde mullet. I fucking love it. He, he, uh, yeah. Hammerstone wins, by the way. Lots of booze. You know, whatever. Uh, some guy, you know, Pillman, yes, he has a lot of room to grow in the ring. But another thing that's hard to do, especially in today's wrestling, is, yeah, everybody's very much more athletic. Uh, they can get the crowd over with the oohs and ahs uh, and, and the flippy stuff. Not a lot of good in-ring storytelling like it used to be. You know, everyone's kind of got that Teddy Hart syndrome where it's go out and do cool moves for the sake of cool moves. Um, Young Bucks for a long time uh, suffered from that, and uh, they've gotten way better in that uh, in that regard. But Pillman, what he has is the charisma and look. He's got the look down, the bleach blonde mullet. He stands out. He's, he's a wrestler, right? It's pretty cool. Anyways, moving on. Apparently, Tom Lawler is late because of a hailstorm, they're announcing, in... Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, Then there is a tape of Contra Unit kidnapping Tom Lawler. Tom is kidnapped outside of a hotel where the ground is dry. So they couldn't, like, throw some ice cubes around, make it calm? I don't know. Then Tom wakes up with his mouth taped up, but he is uh, more biting on the tape, so the tape isn't even attached to his mouth. So, uh, okay. Uh, Then Joseph Samael uh, cuts Tom Lawler's hair... So it's kind of freaky, right? You know, they kind of beat him up a little bit. So there was no hail. Tom's gag fell off. So Tom had to kind of keep it on himself, biting it, and he got his hair cut. I mean, I liked it. Uh, But then Cornette and Rich kind of don't, uh, they don't really know what the video was. They're not playing it up well at all. They bring up the kidnapping, but not the haircutting. Uh, so that seemed to be the the focus of the kidnapping was they cut his hair. It's like uber disrespect, I guess. So you don't really know what commentary is supposed to try and get over here, whether it's 
Lawler getting beaten up uh, and tied up or his haircut. I don't know. It's, yeah. Anyways. MLW middleweight championship match. Jimmy Havoc losing to champion Teddy Hart. Uh, Both guys come out with chairs, even though it's not announced as a no DQ match. MLW and Cornette deems during the match that it's relaxed rules, as I use in quotes. Match a la Raven's rules from WCW is how I took it. Um, Because any match you know with Raven in it had Raven rules. So that's what I'm thinking they're doing here with Jimmy Havoc. It's Jimmy Havoc rules. Uh, This was your Jimmy Havoc type match, plus nonsense Teddy Hart match doing his flippy athletic Teddy things. However, the commentary was the absolute worst I have heard in MLW during a match to date. (sighs) I'll get there. Teddy gets busted open and starts leaking like a loose faucet. Cornette is burying everything Havoc does. They interrupt the match, saying Lawler has reached a ticketing booth outside and is taken to a hospital due to, quote... He has lost a significant portion of his hair. (laughs) Oh, man, I would love to show up to work tomorrow and just be like, I have to go to the hospital. Someone cut my hair against my will. (laughs) Anyways, at one point, Teddy has blood dripping down his face while in the sharpshooter, reminiscent of WrestleMania 13, Austin Hart, and not the Montreal Screwjob, mind you. Guess which one commentary mentions? Yeah, it's not Mania 13. Fuck. God, they were bad during this match. Then another odd moment happens when Teddy gets the rope break from a submission move, and Cornette asks, why is there a rope break in a hardcore match? So we have a relaxed rules match, and there's a rope break. Rich doesn't get why there's a rope break either, so they're Burying the ref. Teddy hits a hammerlock DDT on a chair for the win. Dynasty and H2, that's Heart Foundation, new Heart Foundation, rush out for a brawl, and Havoc just awkwardly walks away. What a clusterfuck of a main event. Very strange show overall. Not a good follow-up after the last couple weeks. They're on a three-week losing streak here. MLW, I'm I'm not liking this. But okay. At least they're building up some young talent. There is that. Okay. Episode 61. We get a cold open of Hammerstone and a hot blonde girl bragging about his shiny, new, very nice title. We get a fun little uh, back and forth there. Koto Brazil loses to Richard Holiday with Arya Blake ringside. Koto, I guess, doesn't need his eye patch anymore, but still comes out with it, so it's uh, part of his attire now. He hits a slew of offense and kills it in the ring better than Rich Swan. <laughs> but alas, Holiday eventually just catches him. Gut wrench powerbomb for the win. This seems like Richard Holiday is set to take MJF's spot sooner rather than later, uh, due to MJF inevitably leaving for AEW come the fall. So, do we possibly see a Dynasty turn against MJF? And if that's the case, I need a third member to replace MJF. I wouldn't mind Richard Holiday taking over. He's got he's definitely got the charisma to be that guy. Hammerstone um, is Scott Steiner light incarnate right now. At least that's the way it's heading. Uh, who would be the third member if we get a new member of the Dynasty to replace MJF? 
I think MLW needs to bring in someone new, kind of like a surprise. Because uh, I don't really know anyone on their current roster that would fit this uh, this dynasty unit. Um, maybe Ace Austin, but he's kind of a babyface. Mm. I don't see low-key. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, reminder, Selena De La Renta is producing the show next week, so hell to the yes again. Next match, Ace Austin versus Air Wolf which goes just over 10 minutes, and they simply kill it. I fucking love this match. Favorite match in weeks. They have terrific chemistry. They're young. They have the high-flying ring work to top it all off. Airwolf gets the win, and after coming off his huge victory over Phoenix, great push being made here for the new middleweight and openweight star. Ace Austin, too. I love him. Uh, I haven't heard much of him coming out of Impact, uh, since Impact is having enough troubles uh, paying people a decent wage and really sticking to their contracts. But anyways, I, I digress. Ace Austin, Airwolf, prime for big things here in MLW. Uh, Zelina comes on, says next week, it will be Sammy the Warthog Callahan and that inbred Mance Warner in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Loser leaves MLW forever. So Zelina really using her... Uh, her power trip maneuver here to get rid of at least one of them. Something tells me it's going to be Sammy Callahan due to Callahan and Jim Cornette really not getting along <laughs> in reality. Uh, we even see Callahan spit water on Jim Cornette. Uh, clearly not scripted. Um, Jacob Fatu and Tom Lawler announced uh, down the road. Fuck yeah, looking forward to that match. Sammy Callahan and Warner are two peas in a pod and have a great dynamic together. But alas, this is unfortunately going to end too soon. Uh, they promise to simply beat the shit out of each other because it's fun for them. I love it. There's another Contra unit promo and uh, have noticed over the last few weeks no Simon Grimm to be found. Very strange. Well, that's fixed soon enough upon my mention of that. Uh... David Boy Smith versus MJF in the main event as we see all of Dynasty come out, but no H2. This happens way too often where we always see H2 get the shit kicked out of them. So they look like dumb baby faces or cocky at the very least. Uh, at least they're still over. I still love them. Eventually, after tons of Dynasty interference, H2 does come out to even it up. DBS gets the win, and then we cut backstage to Contra Unit just leaving bodies everywhere. So, uh, even though logically MLW is going off the deep end a lot lately, this was uh, the better episode of the last month or so. Uh, I'm still confused about the whole Contra unit not being sanctioned wrestlers and MLW allowing them in their building, but I guess uh, they're they're too crazy to control. But then why would you give Jacob Fatu a title match? Uh, you know, logically, there's still some kinks to work out uh, in, uh, in the armor... Uh, but at least episode 61, it was a much better uh, direction to be heading down. So, look very much looking forward to more Zelina hosting. And now it's time for, oh my god, it's Beyond Wrestling time. Very excited. Here we go.
Beyond Wrestling, Uncharted Territory, Episode 10. I was there live. Skipped bowling yet again to go see it. I had to go see the 10th episode. Uh, especially with um, Sean Spears and Orange Cassidy advertised for the main event. There was no way I was going to miss that one. I loved uh, I loved seeing Sean Spears, a.k.a. formerly known as Ty Dillinger. Uh, I even brought my bowling buddy, who hasn't been to a wrestling match since like the 70s so he was uh he came out of this um i told him to go in with the mindset that this is an athletic stage play that's what i always tell people and as soon as he kind of went into that mindset and we had a couple beers before the event uh he had a blast um his favorite wrestler coming out of this was josh alexander a canadian which we'll talk about him later on the show well, anyways, this episode is brought to us via Joey Janela on the microphone. No Rich Palladino on the mic, so Joey Janela introducing us uh, the whole time, and he was hysterical. Uh, our first match is Tom Lawler versus John Silver. Tom Lawler weighing in at 2,000 pounds <laughs> as Joey Janela messes up. Uh, Tom Lawler defeats the meat man, John Silver. Uh, really fun opening match. We get to uh, continue with the Discovery Gauntlet from there as Thomas Santel, still over AF, defeating Mark Sterling. And then we get Santel telling Cam Zagani, he's the interviewer, Zagami, to stand up to his bully after getting clocked last week. He convinces him. Cam's all about it. He's like, well, I've done everything except wrestle and beyond wrestling. Ken Doan, get the fuck out here. Ken Doan defeats Cam Zagami, uh, as he should. Cam Zagami, uh, had a kind of a quick babyface run at the start. Little, little, uh, little adrenaline. And then eventually Ken Doan, uh, does kick the shit out of him. Cam Zagami, devastated. Not happy. Followed by a tag team match. Davian and Skyler defeating Team Catdog. Solo Darling, Alley Cat, via heelish means. So, that story continues of Skylar and Davian being, uh, being bitches. So, there you go. Solo Darling still way over, and Alley Cat, much loved by the crowd. So, decent match. Nothing special, though. We get a singles match of Josh Briggs versus making Beyond Legit again Chuck O'Neill. This is built off of Chuck O'Neill jumping Josh Briggs and not breaking the hold against retrosexual AG, Anthony Green. So Josh Briggs really trying to go for his revenge match here. Over the It's been, it's been a nice building uh, few weeks here. I think it's a month in the making of, uh, more than a month in, a, in the making for Chuck O'Neill. Uh, just jumping guys, beating everybody, turning his back to the crowd. Uh, he's fucking hated by everybody. I like him. I had a make beyond legit again sign. And, um, there's a couple guys, uh, wanting to rip my sign up in the crowd. It was quite funny. You can definitely probably see me, uh, on indie wrestling dot independent wrestling TV in the crowd. I'm the, I'm like the only guy who brings a sign other than, uh, there's some women that bring a, uh, dick string sign. So Josh Briggs wins via DQ continuing Chuck O'Neill, not giving a shit about the matches, he just wants to hurt people. Tom Lawler comes out for the save. Uh, so there you go. 
singles match Chris Dickinson versus the walking weapon Canadian smash wrestling Hamilton star Josh Alexander, who's over an impact right now. Uh, this match is awesome. I highly recommend it. It, it is hard-hitting. Uh, I, I loved watching Josh Alexander uh, in, in Canada when I, when I was living in Toronto. Saw him a few times. Russell there. Uh, he, <laughs> Josh Alexander, for those that don't know, he has this uh, amateur wrestling look to him. He even has the headgear on. Uh, but then when he starts wrestling, you realize he is a hard motherfucker. Right? So Dickinson continues his terror through just trying to beat hard as fuck people. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm awaiting Chris Richway to come to beyond wrestling now. Uh, but yeah, uh, again, this was my, my friend's favorite match of the night. He loved Josh Alexander. What he saw Chris Dickinson, uh, still just on a fucking roll. And, um, for the sake, he's getting, he's going to get 10 points in my wrestler rankings from what he's doing. Um, Stiff competition, but he'll get 10 points because he is putting his body through his own version of the G1. So 10 points, uh, 10, 10 points for Chris Dickinson. So, main event, Sean Spears, perfect 10. Heel Sean Spears, by the way, in Beyond Wrestling because he's facing against former independent wrestling champion, Orange Cassidy. And as you could imagine this match in your head, it was utterly ridiculous at the start. Orange Cassidy doing his shtick. Sean Spears doing his heel 10 shtick, which is quite funny. Uh, and Sean Spears beats Orange Cassidy. There you go. So, really fun episode. I loved episode 10, but nothing compared to... And I'm not going straight into episode 11. I'm going into the Beyond Wrestling Secret Show. From Boston at Fennel uh, Fennel Hall Fennel Hall. There we go. Jesus, I've had a real tough time saying that that name as I take some water, take a deep breath, and calm down for a second. Mm. So, first of all, I was there at the show. This was um, advertised as we're not am- announcing a single match. Everything's a surprise. The whole card is unknown. And uh, it's up in um, it's up in this Irish bar, uh, big open area. This was hot as hell. I sweat so much during the show, and the wrestlers had an even harder time. You could tell this was ridiculous. Uh, they weren't uh, beyond was not allowed to open the windows because uh, if they were, they would get in trouble because the fans at Beyond have too much fun, and chant very much lots of profanity. And if you're in the market of, uh, of that area of Boston, uh, it's, it's a family area, right? So you, even uh, Rich Paladino gets on the mic and he goes, no, we can't open the windows, uh, so, so shut the fuck up kind of deal. is funny. Uh, but let's get this card going. Uh, it starts off hot with Jay Freddy defeating uh, the young Tristan Ty. Uh just hard-hitting match. Jay Freddy just... Oh, those chops. Oh, they hurt. They hurt so bad. Tristan Ty was was very much like, please stop. <laughs> it was just quite funny. 
uh, fatal four-way match of basically everyone who Thomas Santel has beaten in the Discovery Gauntlet. These were all like Discovery Gauntlet losers. So we got Brandon Thurston, Brad Hollister, D.L. Hurst, and Gabriel Sky. Um, Brandon Thurston gets the win. Probably the right decision. Uh, bit spot-heavy and sloppy in parts, but there was a really cool moment where I believe it was Hollister and Thurston each had a single-leg crab uh, on on a dude, and then they stared at each other, and they started slapping each other. Then they dropped, dropped the legs, and they just started beating the hell out of each other. I loved that moment. It got a huge reaction from the crowd, too. Very fun. We got a singles match between Thomas Santel and Chuck O'Neill because, well, Chuck O'Neill is a bully, and Thomas Santel isn't going to take anything from bullies. So, how do you book the one of the hottest dudes in the promotion against one of the biggest heels in the promotion? And how do you keep both guys strong? Well, they have a big-time technical match. Goes on for 10 minutes or so, and then Chuck O'Neill pulls some heel shit, gets him in an armbar, refuses to break the hold, as he does, as, as he stays in character, and Chuck O'Neill gets DQ'd, he still looks strong, and Santel keeps his winning streak. Uh, it does start off pretty funny where um, Thomas Santel gifts Chuck O'Neill a white belt, and uh, Chuck O'Neill proceeds to chuck it in the crowd. Uh, at me, nonetheless, and I pick it up and wear it for the rest of the time. <laughs> I was waiting for a moment uh, for them to like brawl on the outside, and I'll and I really wanted to give like Santel uh, the uh, the belt. Uh, to, like, whip him with, but they never came over. I was very disappointed. Um, oh, well. Spot missed. Uh, Briggs and, and Lawler uh, come out. Briggs comes out to save Santel, and then Lawler comes out to kind of break it up and, and not, like, interfere because he still respects Chuck O'Neill. Well, Briggs and Lawler get in each other's face, and they just have a match right then and there. Really cool stuff. Uh, Lawler ends up, after a hard-hitting affair, Lawler ends up defeating Josh Briggs. The losing streak of Josh Briggs continues. Oh, devastating. Briggs is all sad. Oh, no. Surprise match. Independent wrestling TV title on the line. Champion Chris Statlander against Kimberly. And if we remember... From the uh, Rhode Island show a little while ago, there was a grudge match of Chris Stat against Kimberly, in which I negatively responded with the finish as Kimberly went for the senton or the the Swanton bomb, and it was reversed into the roll up pin. That led to Statlander saying awkwardly, "Now that that's over and done with." So I was wondering. That can't be it, right? Why Why would it end like that? So, Kimberly Kristat in a title match. And then Orange Cassidy's music hits. Everyone pops. We got a three-way intergender title match. Oh, and it was fantastic. I love this match. It was super fun. Uh, lots of good back and forth. Uh, Cassidy and Stat doing their thing. Kimberly not having it. It ends with... Chris Stat has Orange Cassidy knocked out. She's got a submission move in. 
Kimberly grabs the independent TV title, clocks Chris Statlander over the head. Did she have a submission hold in, or was she just going for the pin? Regardless, Cassidy was knocked out via finisher. Uh, The tombstone. The tombstone package driver, whatever it's called. Kimberly clocks Chris Statt with the title, drags Orange Cassidy over top her. Title change. Orange Cassidy gains the independent wrestling TV title back. To everyone's surprise, what the hell, Kimber? Well, Kimberly gets on the mic. She claims that she was undefeated and beyond for whatever amount of time, I don't remember. Looks begrudgingly over at Chris Stott. How long did you last? Ooh. Yes, we have to be set for American Rana. What are these two going to get into? I look forward to it. Singles match, Ken Doan versus Anthony Green. Ken Doan beats Anthony Green via, of course, dick moves. Um, Anthony Green still the best loser in all of wrestling currently. Well, Platinum Honeys do stay out. Angel Sakonard, Ava, Ava Everett, the uh, the Honeys of Anthony Green, they stay out. Uh, they're up against the bitch team of now called the Top Dogs, Davian and Skyler. Yes, they win again. The heels of Skyler and Davian continue their winning ways. I wonder if this is going to lead to them claiming they are the tag team aces of beyond. Well, speaking of tag tag team aces of beyond, we have Bear Country taking on Sadkampf, or Sadkampf, of Dominic Garini and Kevin Koo, in which uh, I believe it's Dominic Garini looks very much like uh, Alex Bailey. Alex, is that his name? I think it's Alex Alex Bailey of Canada, but they look very similar. They have the exact same gimmick. <laughs> I always get them confused. Uh, but anyways, uh, Bear Country is still looking strong. They defeat Sodkampf, and they claim they are the tag team aces of Beyond. I was ringside, you know, the second half, I was ringside for the event. Super cool. Um, I believe it was uh, Bear Bronson. He gets dropped on his neck. Real bad, like, three straight times. Uh, Very sloppy match overall. But Bear Country looking strong nonetheless. Then we get David Starr. He's not happy Bear Country's calling themselves any sort of ace in Beyond. He's talking some shit. He's claiming he's the ace. He doesn't have an opponent for American Rana. Nobody's worth his time. Well, Solo Darling's music hits. She comes out, stands right in his face. We got an intergender match of the likes I was very happy to see. Uh, pretty sloppy in a lot of parts from Solo. Uh, like I said, when I've said this before, when Solo Darling gets in these longer matches, and you can't get good without practice. Let's get that straight. Uh, mix that in with the heat in this place. The temperature. Um... This went about as good as it could be. David Starr playing the just best heel you can imagine. Uh, the the shining moment was definitely during the match. A guy in the audience right behind me calls David Starr a pussy. And David Starr responds. And no joke, he goes, 
well, you're just a dick, because put or no, he he calls him a, a sexist or something because pussies are strong. <laughs> it's 2019 or some something. It was fucking amazing. Uh, everyone in the crowd admits David Starr has burned this guy to no end, uh, and and just laughs and loves it. Um, David Starr does end up winning, uh, and then our main event is Slither, Chris Dickinson, and Joey Danella against the Butcher and the Blade. Uh, I did not like this match. I don't like... Look, the Butcher and the Blade have a great gimmick. This was not the right team to be in the main event of the show. Uh, the match came across a little flat. Uh, luckily, Dickinson and Janela are very much over. Um, they do win. It was a good ending. Janela's talking a lot of shit to David Starr, uh, about ducking him, uh... Very much this whole Joey signed a big contract to AEW pull, and David Starr is Mr. Independent right now. That's the story. David Starr does come out and invokes a big brawl, and uh, that's how we go off the show. Uh, cool stuff. And then moving on quickly to episode 11, a very much more forgettable show until the last two matches. So I'll just go through it really quick. We open up with tag team match of Bear Country playing off the secret show. Uh, tag team aces, David Starr comes out, and he comes out with Eddie Kingston, who's now making everyone call him ACH. Who, of course, we now know is signed with NXT, and they changed his name, so it's good heel work. David Starr and Kingston win. Decent match. Singles match, Anthony Green against Richard Holiday. And Anthony Green wins! What? I don't think I've ever seen him win before. I really don't. Not in Beyond. So, that was crazy. Uh, singles match, Josh Briggs versus Ken Doan. Uh, Ken Doan just being the asshole. And uh, Josh Briggs wins in the end. He's back on his winning ways. Ken Doan suffers his first loss. No reason to keep Ken Doan really strong. He's a loose cannon. It's very weird. Uh, he's angry all the time. His ring work's not very good right now. Uh, so I, I liked Josh Briggs going over here. And Briggs needed the win. Let's face it. Uh, so even though I'm speeding through the show, it was a really good show for matches. Uh, LEX returning for the first time in a while. Uh defeating the team of Euthanasia. That is Josh Prohibition and Matt Cross. Holy shit, I love this tag team. Uh, really brings back memories of the very old indie scene from like the late 2000s after the fall of WCW. Uh, this was a great match, I loved it. Uh, followed by the Discovery Gauntlet match, Thomas Santel defeating Travis Huckabee, Moves to 8-0 and zero and beyond. We got ourselves a Goldberg winning streak here. Yes, I'm keeping count. I love it. Thomas Santel should never lose. He should go all the way to American Rana. <laughs> uh, then we get our fabled singles match of Chuck O'Neill versus Tom Lawler. Uh, both trained in uh, mixed martial arts by the same guy. And Chuck O'Neill defeats Tom Lawler. Recommended match. Great ongoing story here. There's so many good stories here in episode 11. That's what I liked about the show the most. Um, all these matches are are part of a bigger story. 
Uh, LAX is the is the new like big indie tag team. Euthanasia is the old one. Uh, so the old putting over the new. Um, David Starr and Kingston proving that Bear Country isn't the tag team aces they are, giving them their first loss. Anthony Green getting a win over the just dick heel Richard Holiday. Briggs beating Kendone. I mean, it all comes together. It's it's very good week to week storytelling, uh, and it's not meandering like I complained about MLW and Impact. Uh, and our main event is the second best Beyond Wrestling Uncharted territory match to date, and that is the twenty six minute Joey Janela versus Chris Stotlander intergender match. The best intergender match I have seen since David Star Solo Darling. <laughs> but this one knocked it out of the water. Uh, there was very good back and forth. Um, Stat getting the better of Janela. Janela playing the heel. Uh, what scared me, though, was a few spots. There was an apron spot off the top rope uh, of Janela throwing Stat onto it. Nasty landing. And... Even more so was, uh, there wasn't one, but there was two door spots working as tables. Uh, Janela goes through the first one, Stat goes through the second one. The second one is what scared the shit out of me. Because it was a, so Statlander's on the apron. Janela is on the inside. He sets the door across the middle rope in the corner. So Janela gets set for a superplex type spot, right? But Stat is on the apron on the outside. So he lifts her over slowly and then proceeds to do like a brain buster through the table. Uh, they're kicking out of a thousand near uh, uh, signature moves and near finishes. Uh, the crowd's going insane. And then uh, the door spot happens. The brain buster door spot from the corner happens. Chris Stat kicks out of that. Joey Janela is like, what's going to take the fucking beater? Stat- Statlander gets on her knees, looks at Janela, flips him the double bird, big super kick to the face, match over. Hell yeah, I love that match. I still think the Dickinson-Eric Stevens match is the best one in Beyond to date, uh, but this is definitely a strong contender. Um, so my top three uh, uncharted territory matches are number one, the Eric Stevens Dickinson. Number two is Janela Statlander. Number three is Dickinson against Josh Alexander. So there's your top three right now of uncharted territory. Post match promo, uh, Janela, you know, talks shit to um, uh, Crockett, or or I'm sorry, not Crockett, Jim Cornette, and um, he's talking shit that Janela's ducking him still. Uh, he need, he wants his match with David Starr, calls him a pussy and all this no- nonsense. Janela's stumbling over his words quite a bit. Uh, Starr doesn't accept at first, and then Janela says it's because nobody wants you. And that kind of gets under David Starr's skin. This now goes to a 60-minute Iron Man match challenge at American Rana. My god, I'm going to American Rana. Probably mentioned that before. Obviously, I'm very excited for this match. I've never seen a 60-minute Iron Man match live before. Um, this is going to be, I hope, a match of the year candidate, along with the uh, my assumption of Kimberly Chris Stotlander grudge match. And then, naturally, we're getting Dickinson 
against Sekimoto, which is going to be a hard-as-fuck match. So there you go. Uh, Uncharted Territory continues to kill it. I think it's the best weekly wrestling show uh, going on right now. Everyone should give it a try. There's a billion promo codes out there on independent wrestling TV to use. You can sign up with a number of emails. Uh, get that 20-day 20, 20 free trial. Watch this show. Oh, that was a lot of Beyond Wrestling to talk about. <coughs> oh, my God. Ugh. And I want to know what you guys think of Uncharted Territory and Beyond Wrestling. I want to know what you guys think of MLW Fusion, how that's been ha- handling lately. I want to know what you think of me covering the Joshi Wrestling. That I love women's wrestling. That is the top level of women's wrestling. Hit me up on Twitter, at BowlingJD. Hit up the Red Leaf Retrocast and email. Emails in the description of every episode. Uh, at gmail.com. Yeah, I know it's a weird email, but it's what I use. <laughs> and, last but not least, leave that five-star iTunes review. Get us out there. I'll read it on the cast. I want that. I need it. I crave it. Gotta drink more water. Throat's getting dry. Mm. Just over the hour mark, making fantastic time. But now it's time to talk about everything else that's in this world. And naturally moving on. I did just mention Josie Wrestling. Well, we're going. Talking about stardom now. Oh, yeah. You blocked me on Facebook. And now you're going to die. Yes, that is Hana Kimura's entrance music that she used uh, during the formation of the Tokyo Cyber Squad. They have a new intro music uh, theme now, but um, because the block me on Facebook thing is is just so ridiculous, it, it's still that same beat. Uh, they just don't have the block me on Facebook part anymore. But anyways, I'm keeping it regardless because I love it. <laughs> All right, stardom. We got Osaka May 25th, we got Osaka Night, we got uh, Fukuyama, that's Konami's homecoming show, and then we got Yokoyama, or Yokoyama and Shinkiba from June 1st and 2nd. So there we go. A lot to talk about here. Uh, so let's start off real quick. We got Andres Miyagi defeating Starlight Kid via chair shot and Tombstone. Decent bout. I quite like that. Miyagi's continuing to look real strong. Uh, she's got one of the most unique gimmicks in wrestling today and a unique very unique look uh i saw a picture of casual andrus miyagi without the the makeup and the gel and the spiked unicorn thing going on uh dear god she's a very attractive woman and very much different looking not how i that's how good like the makeup and uh gimmick look is uh moving on Ariso looked horrible yet again in the tag match with Saki versus Queen's Quest tag team of Momo and B Priestley, as they're tagging a lot lately. Saki ate the pin, of course. Uh, Arisa needs to get her shit together. This is getting ridiculous. I don't know what her issue is. She's out of place all the time. Her kicks are not hitting like they... She went on... I spoke in... Um, November to January, where you could see a good progression 
of her moves connecting together, looking more smooth. You know, there's a lot of ring rust there. She's coming back from wrestling after a long, long absence. Uh, and now she's just on this downward trend of just nothing's clicking right now. So I don't know what the deal is. I don't know whether it's pressure. They expect a lot from her. She's being told she needs to live up to this potential. I, I don't know. Not looking good. Anyways, trios match. Awedo Tai of Natsuko Tora, Kagetsu, and Hazuki versus Tokyo Cyber Squad trio team of Hanakimura, Jungle Kiona, and Death Yamasan. By the way. Yonoyama becomes death by using magic, according to Hanakimura in the pre-match promo. Very odd pre-match promo where she's whispering in the camera. Uh, very strange. Jungle Kiona's like, I gotta see this magic. This is weird. <laughs> Anyways, it's such Death Yamasan is such a ridiculous character and totally into it. She's got rocker signs. She's yelling death all the time. Death! Uh, it looks like a member of KISS, essentially. It reminds me, uh, funny enough, of the KISS demon from WCW back in, uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. She's also only, like, 4'10", so it makes it really funny, too. Uh, it was a pretty good main event as Death Yamasan pins the high-speed champion Hazuki via a code red. Just what? Uh... Yeah, death, 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 Yama, death. Oh, it's so ridiculous. It's funny. I love it. It's hilarious. Anyways, uh, the night show in Osaka saw TCS artist champs defeating the stars team of Starlight Kid, Arisa, and Saki. Again, Arisa just looks lost all the time now, um, getting very worried about what's to come. Oh, and Saki, of course, ate another pin. So that's uh, two in a row. Death Yama-san. Versus Hazuki for the high-speed title. Got some continuity here with uh, getting the pin over the champion. You get the title match. Goes 5 minutes and 33 seconds. Good match. Hazuki is so fast and smooth in the ring. She retains uh, via reversing a code red into an Okada roll. Uh, fast and smooth. I really thought Death was going to win here considering how over she is with the crowd. Uh, and her string of quick victories. Uh, that was Hazuki's seventh defense. Now goes for number eight, which is the record. Saki comes out to challenge and says she wants to prove that she doesn't need Mayu and Tom. She's lost twice earlier. People might think she's worthless now. You hear Natsu uh, Sumire agree, which is really funny. Uh, so this is all kind of proving that she wants to, uh, she, to, uh, to be on her own. I, I always like this kind of story where it's, it's very simple. Um, much like how Julia hadn't won any matches yet. She got a big title match. Kind of odd that Saki gets a singles titles match, even though she hasn't pinned the champion and got pinned herself, but Hazuki accepts nonetheless. So that's an upcoming title match there On to the Fukuyama Homecoming show of Konami. I was very much looking forward to this because Konami gets a big chance to shine and prove her, uh, her prove her overall growth. We saw the a big growth in her uh, Cinderella tournament run, which uh, now seeing the result of Arisa being the lost puppy that she is right now, uh, Konami not winning that is looking very very more apparent to me. Um, Anyways, tag match. We see Momo and Priestley teaming yet again. This is uh, against Arisa and Starlight Kid. A well-worked match. Lasting 9 minutes and 35 seconds. 
Starlight Kid worked the most, I might add. Hence why it was way better than the other matches that Arisa has been in recently. Uh, her lucha moves had more twists than usual and was quite smooth, I will add, by Starlight Kid. Mo- <coughs> Momo wins via the Asuka lock of all thing on Kid. <coughs> Arisa was way more absent in this match, but at least she hit her moves way better this time. There's some positivity there for Arisa. If you're a big Arisa fan, I'm sorry, but the writing's on the ta- the writing is right on the wall there with how she's been performing lately. And her promos are awful. <laughs> Not a big Arisa fan right now, if you can tell. Uh, TCS, Jungle Kiona, Hana, Kimura versus the t- tag team of Hazuki and Natsuka Tora. This was even better. <laughs> Hazuki is so damn good and smooth in the ring. Her transitions are so quick. And Hana Kimura simply has it. Her charisma is carrying over to the other people in her team. Jungle Kiona uh, with the uh, team mannerisms, the way they work together in the ring. It's all very appealing and fun to watch. Uh, Kiona um, with the team mannerisms. um, Yeah, Uh, the match ends with Hazuki uh, using an Okada roll on Jungle Kiona. So the same way she's won her high-speed matches. Hazuki tells Hana Kimura she doesn't want the trio's titles, uh, harping on the fact that um, Hana Kimura wants to challenge wants Oedo Tai to challenge them for the trio's titles and put their camo gear on the line. Uh, but Hazuki's not interested uh, with her. Uh, Hazuki wants to team with Natsuko and win the Goddess tag belts. So they are coming for Momo and Utami. So wants Utami to, of course return from injury fast. And then afterward, Hana calls out Kagetsu, Miyagi, and Natsu Sumire as their trio's titles opponents for the camo stipulation. So there you go. I loved all this. Match went 10 minutes, 24 seconds. Uh, Lots of good storytelling here. Uh, Moving on to our main event. Kagetsu taking on hometown girl Konami as Konami wants to submit the former champion. Because as we know, the Triangle Lancer Chuck Bosento. Uh I love Konami's gear here. She has uh, half long pants, one short leg, uh, one leg short on the other, with black, silver, and gold colors with some leopard spots. So awesome! I love this gear. It starts off with lots of knee bars and leg locks, working into Kagetsu, uh, getting heat via spitting water into Konami and the ref's face. It fucking worked. The crowd hated her immediately. Uh well, these two go to a 30-minute draw with the bell ringing on a one-count after Kagezu hits her 450. This match felt 15 minutes, so again, another well-paced match. Uh, the Maya-Julia match, I think, was better because even though this was well-paced and it felt half as long, uh, the knee bar leg locks at the, the start... I, I, I am critical of this, because Kagetsu matches, when they when they go this long, unlike, say, what we saw with Momo and Tony Storm just a few weeks ago, uh, Kagetsu's technical work at the start is very slow, and it's really hard to get into sometimes. Uh, Konami is more map-based in general, so this worked a bit better than usual. That's why I'm kind of giving it a little bit more praise. Um... 
I did like the technical start. The brawl to the outside is definitely where it stepped it up a notch. Uh, to the Josie Strong style, then moving to the high spots, and then they were exhausted, and that led to the finish. I loved that pacing. It all works so well. That's, if any, if anything, uh, that's what the Maya-Julia match from earlier I spoke about was missing, was kind of that progression of style. Uh, but then again, it was a very different worked match that had the limb work in it. This did not, uh, despite a more submission technical based ground game. Um, so very, very interesting. Uh, uh, the next two shows uh, in, Yo- in Yokohama and Shinkiba were uh, very straightforward. Uh, Yokohama, June 1st, was a unit battle tournament where... Uh, TCS wins off of Konami, submitting Natsuko Tora to continue the whole Oedo Tai Tokyo Cyber Squad feud. And Tokyo Cyber Squad continuing to look strong. Uh, not a whole lot of storytelling going here, though. Shinkiba on June 2nd saw, saw a tag match of Arisa and Tom Nakano losing to Momo and B. Priestley via miscommunication. So, uh, post-match Tam gets in Arisa's face anticipating their white ma- white belt match coming up soon. So Tam is kind of... she's got, She had this big smile on her, like she finally gets to, you know, kick Arisa's head off over all this fr- frustration because they've never, like, truly gotten along. Uh, and then the main event, an elimination match, uh, finishes this off, uh, finishes the show off of Oedo Tai and Tokyo Cyber Squad. Comes down to Kagetsu last eliminating Hanakamura in a very good high-octane um, adrenaline-filled finish there uh, with Oedo Tai getting involved, misting Kimura on the top rope, cracking her with the Oedo Tai sign, uh, then talking some shit afterwards. And uh, So this is, this, this is all leading to, all of, it, all of which I've spoken about of stardom right now, it's all leading to... Uh, Sapporo and Corican Hall. That's coming up. That's the two big shows. They're already out. I haven't watched them yet. That's going to be on the next cast, as I said. Uh, so we'll see the culmination of all these stories come together there. Alrighty. Ah! It's WXW time. My bread and butter. My favorite promotion on the planet. Where are you, Bobby Guns? I gotta play your Euro beat. Here we go. Yes. Bobby Guns. King of Smoke Style. Superstars of Wrestling. Uh, what happened on the road to Superstars of Wrestling? Well, Rise defeats Ozzy Open via heelish means. Um,. Lucky Kid very pissed off about it. Istos Rise! Istos Rise! He's very he's not happy with Pete Bouncer cheating. Uh Ivan Kiev is kind of kind of staying out of these two arguing with each other. Uh Ozzy Open like gotten uh, uh Pete Bouncer's face. They're like, oh yeah, good 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 job, chaps. You're cheating, you know, all about that. Lucky Kid, uh very confused. Cause he's got his Schadenfreude comrades in Ozzy Open on one side. And Chris Brooks. Then he has his Rise brethren on the other. But Rise is cheating a lot lately. They're not getting along. They don't... The, and Pete Bouncer's not happy. Lucky Kid is getting booked. Rise keeps losing. 
They gotta go back to their old ways. I am waiting for the return so bad of Bad Boat's John Klinger and Tarkin Aslan. I know that kind of culminated at uh, at um that steel cage match in January of Rise versus Rise, who gets to be Rise, but now with Lucky Kid winning 16 carat and going off on his own and Schadenfreude being around, oh, Schadenfreude versus Rise, I I see it happening. I really do. Uh, we see Andy goad Lucky Kid with Pete Bouncer behind him later on the show because, as we know, and Absolute Andy beat Lucky Kid at True Colors. So, Lucky Kid and Pete Bouncer trying to get get back on the same page. Um, so Andy Andy cuts a great promo, and Lucky Kid looks behind him at Pete Bouncer saying, "You're the leader. What's your call?" Well, Pete Bouncer says, "Rise accepts. Rise acception. You know, uh, putting Lucky Kid's 16 carat title shot on the line at Superstars Wrestling." So. Little history lesson here. Last year, Bobby Guns won Shortcut to the Chop. Shortcut to the Top. Absolute Andy beat Bobby Guns by goading him into putting his title shot on the line there. That led to Bobby Guns kind of a redemption story and trying to win all these other, win all these singles matches, uh, beating uh, 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 Shigeru Iterye, winning over that style, and that led to his. So. Bobby Guns lost his title shot. Will Lucky Kid lose his title shot to the absolute dad of Absolute Andy? We'll see at Superstars Wrestling. Or no, that uh, was slated. That is slated for um, Drive of Champions. I'm sorry, not Superstars Wrestling. So Drive of Champions will be on the next cast. Uh, and then Road to Superstars saw Ilya Dragunov defeating Brian Cage in a recommended match. I did like that one. Very good. Torpedo Moscow beats Brian Cage. So, no all any interference, I might add. Superstars of Wrestling, uh, Valter wins the opening match against Wheeler Utah, kind of in the talent exchange. Utah from MLW and Beyond Wrestling, I might add, going over to WXW. And Robert Dresker, the Avalanche, going over to MLW. So, mid-carters. Trading, trading spots, basically. Uh, the difference is Robert Dreisker got a world title match on MLW Fusion versus Tom Lawler, while Wheeler Utah gets the shit kicked out of him by Valter. So, you know, not really the same thing. Although Utah did get to the finals of the Mitteldeutschland Cup. So, there is that, at least. Singles match, Brian Cage defeats Lucky Kid via distraction help from Absolute Andy. Uh, so Cage gets a big win over the 16-carat winner. Absolute Andy still in Lucky Kid's head. That's what kind of led to the whole put my title shot on the line, get out of my face, Andy kind of deal. Uh, trios match, Avalanche, Julian Pace, and Leon Von Gasteren defeat The Crown and Emil Satochi. Why am I even bringing this match up? I usually skip over kind of filler matches like this. Well... At one point during the match, Leon Von Gasteren hits a Stone Cold Stunner on Jern Simmons, and I posted this on Twitter. Jern Simmons does the best stunner sell I have seen since uh, since um, Scott Hall and The Rock would sell the same thing. 
Uh, he he jumps like ten feet in the air, lands on his back. He flips over his back and falls out the ring over the over the over the first rope. It's just fucking awesome. Yern Simmons has taken on this overbumping character lately. Uh, I I still wish he would get bigger singles wins, or at least the crown would string some some more wins together as a tag team uh, to get into that tag title picture. And Satoshi is still uh, emo Raven incarnate i guess right now i do like his character he, he just kind of left during the match ken shamrock yeah looking jacked and gray but uh he beats fight muller uh via ankle lock um simple match gets uh gets that i mean this is superstars of wrestling gets the uh makes the legend look legit and good the crowd pops it's nice to see um so there you go Marius Al-Ani versus Ilya Dragunov. Uh, oh, I didn't write down how long this match went. It went 20 minutes plus. Um, I loved this match. This was my takeaway match from WXW in the month of May. Uh, I liked it more than Dragunov Cage. I liked it more than Lucky Kid Absolute Andy at True Colors. Um... Uh, we saw a hint of Alani and Dragunov uh, going against each other against Bobby Guns in that triple threat match. I was very much a fan of that. Alani stepped up his game big time. I failed to mention, I apologize, how the finish went in True Colors. I'm pretty sure I forgot. But what happened was uh, Alani ankle locked Dragunov hard. <clears throat> and then Bobby Guns rolled up Alani. And because the ankle lock was so devastating, Dragunov fell, failing to break up the pin. On that quick roll-up. So that was a really cool finish. Well, Alani and Dragunov have been in each other's faces for months. Interfering in each other's matches. Stemmed from the cage match back in January. Of Dragunov against Absolute Andy for the title. Alani had come out just to kind of screw him over. Dragunov over. Despite the history between Alani and Andy. Well, it all culminates here in this singles match. Du bist ein Superstar. Ich bin ein Superstar. Wir kämpfen. From superstars of wrestling. So here we are. They're fighting. And Alani goes over Dragunov. I love this. Dragunov is a major star in WXW. Everyone loves him. He's over AF. Alani is the up and coming guy. He's moving from the mid card to the main event. This is how you do it. This is what you do. I loved it. He he uh, he wins via, the, via his uh, low down frog splash. Fantastic. It's a speed match. Alani is on a fucking roll. He is the must-watch guy right now. I mean, you got Lucky Kid and Andy and their thing. You have Bobby Guns as the champion still over. Alani's on the rise. Uh, obviously, Dragunov and Valter and uh, Tommy End and Zack Sabre Jr. Now, all their stars from the past are all out of the promotion now, unfortunately. So they have to build these stars. This is how you do it. Um, I'm all for Alani. I wasn't a big fan of him in 2018, but as soon as he took on, as soon as he turned heel after losing to Andy uh, in that feud, I did like that ladder match last year. But as soon as he turned heel and um, uh, took over the persona of De Baudet, I love him. It really works for him. Trio's match here: Aussie Open and Hardcore Holly of all people. Uh, facing off against JFK and Absolute Andy. Uh, 
Hardcore Holly and Aussie Open go over. The legend goes over. Looks good. Um, Andy's a mess. He, uh, yeah, he, uh, huh. took, I took, uh, Twitter. I posted pictures of Andy, uh, during his entrance of this on Twitter. It was glorious. Uh, post-match, Davis calls out for any tag team at Drive of Champions, uh, to join in on the open gauntlet match challenge. Like, Jesus. <laughs> Confident. They did have a promo that 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 they were just, uh, like, a JFK. Um, what'd they say? Uh, JFK? Rise. Rise. JFK. They just beat them over and over again. So they want, new ch- they want a new challenge. Well, boy, did they get their wish. Because not only... Did Valter come out to jump their ass? Dragonoff joined in. So all of this respect from their from their great feud in 2018, and Valter seemingly having this subtle fallout of Ringkampf and not shaking the hand uh, with Fight Muller. Um, Valter and Dragonoff beat them down, claiming, and then they cut a promo. Valter specifically, Dragonoff was being furious, uh, you know, being his ball of charisma. Uh, they are too good for VXV and its fans zitzen on on the side. Uh, it's a real NXT UK versus WXW setting here. So kind of like what we saw in Fight Club Pro and also kind of what we got a, a, a theme of at Progress Super Strong Style 16 was this NXT UK WWE versus the promotion. So... Dragonoff and Valter, uh, this was very surprising. I did not see it coming. Um, especially from Dragonoff. Like, Valter, at least there was a hint. Dragonoff turning heel, uh, it's very interesting. Not a lot of big baby faces, uh, to go off of. Schadenfreude is going to be a babyface team, even though they're heels in Fight Club Pro over in the UK. Um... Where does this leave Timothy Thatcher? Because he was walking out of RingConf before, and we haven't seen him since. Now we have Valter seemingly leaving, as my cat is walking on the mic table. How you doing? Get off there. Get off there, kitty. There you go. Uh, so... Is Thatcher going to come back and join Ringkampf with Fight Muller? Or is he going to join Schadenfreude and go against this? I don't know. Are we going to see the return of Axel Tischer at some point down the line? Because over in NXT UK, they're making full-on Ringkampf over there with an extra member who was never in it in the first place, but it's not getting over. Um... So it's very interesting. I'm, 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 I have no clue where they're heading with this other than these groups of factions. Uh, we got JFK and Andy, uh, Schadenfreude, Rise seemingly on the horizon for a remake. We got The Crown, I guess it's a tag team. Um, I don't know. WXW women's title Fatal 4-Way. As we know, there was a series of triple threat matches where Amal Winchester, Killer Kelly, and Valkyrie kind of exchanged wins. Um, Decent match. 
Uh, Amal Winchester does get the pin, hitting the uh, hitting the delayed complete shot. Uh, I love this. Amal Winchester's from France. Uh, she's very over, at least with in my book. Uh, it's new blood in the division. Tony Storm uh, is looking to be probably uh, more heavy-handed into NXT UK with uh, tapings coming up and. Uh, takeover in August in Cardiff of all places. Uh, so Amal Winchester winning, uh, gives more time to build up Killer Kelly to go against her. Uh, I hope to see more Valkyrie, but she just had an NXT UK tryout. I don't know, but I do, I do like putting the title on Winchester. Uh, I think that's the right decision. Um, and she looks good. I like her. I like her style. She's uh, she's got a more veteran feel to her. Uh, and then on to the WXW Unified World Wrestling Title Street Fight of Joey Janela versus Bobby Guns. Uh, as we remember, or a little reminder, Joey Janela came out during the New York show that I was at of the WXW uh, after Bobby Guns had defeated Shigeru Iteriye. Called Bobby Guns out. He's like, I'm going to have to go to fucking Germany and take that title from you. Well, they have a street fight. It's a street fight. Janela's crazy. Bobby Guns gets the win. Not much else to talk about there. It wasn't my favorite Bobby Guns match. It wasn't my favorite Joey Janela match. Uh, but it was fun to see this dynamic. You know, it's a new match, a new challenger. I didn't expect for one second Joey Janela was going to win. I think that's where the problem lied. Um... So yeah, my takeaway is Dragonoff Cage, Dragonoff Alani. Those two matches. So there we go. Whew. So Drive of Champions is set to be a real good card. That's kind of what a lot of... I thought we were building more towards Superstars of Wrestling, but it seems we're continuing a, uh, a story heading more into Drive of Champions, and that'll lead into, I guess, the summer break going into Shortcut to the Top. And yes, there is an off-season in WXW. July. So. So. It is time for New Japan. Which means I play Naito's music. Alrighty. Naito. Naito. Hello, kitty cat. Mm. Oh, on my lap now, are you? If you hear a purring cat, he's just happy I'm awake at this hour. New Japan Pro Wrestling, a best of the Super Juniors final. Jay White defeats Hiroshi Tanahashi in a 19-minute, 16-minute match, or 16-second match. Uh, again, I love watching Jay White. He's very subtle. Every ma- every move he does matters. Hiroshi Tanahashi's coming back from that elbow injury, uh, or shoulder, whatever it was. He's beat up everywhere. He still looks pretty beat up. It was a very much grounded Tanahashi. Uh, not their best match together, especially considering you- we have their title match from earlier this year to compare it to, but I did love the finish of the arm work, led to reversal into a hammerlock pin, and that's what got Tanahashi. Um, Probably give it four stars. Uh, 
And then there was the IWGP US heavyweight title match of John Moxley making his New Japan debut against champion Juice Robinson. This was a fight. It felt like a fight. We even saw John Moxley biting the forehead and eyebrow of Juice Robinson. He's a crazy guy. Uh, John Moxley is a new man. And I never thought I'd say it. I didn't give a shit about Dean Ambrose. I didn't give a shit about young John Moxley. Because he was a CZW guy. Hardcore guy. And he... I, I didn't like that. I've seen him in, in Dragon Gate USA. I mean, that was okay. But I've never been into this dude before. Ever. Not once. And then in, like, one sweeping moment at AEW, I was like, okay, that was cool. And now with this match against Juice Robinson? Fuck. Who, who is this guy? Who's this wrestler? Well, he beats Juice Robinson and become the U.S. champion. <laughs> 24 minutes, 14 seconds. Yeah, and like I said, it starts out with a brawl. I mean, when you look back and you think about the uh, the Seth Rollins... Dean Ambrose feud and how that was kind of a grudge matchy feel and then they locked up and headlocked the whole time and it sucked like this is what you'd imagine that would would be and it's a great example of when a wrestler is in control of their match as opposed to let's say WWE where they tell you you're not allowed to do this and you have to do this in your match so it's dumb What's awesome is what we saw here. Juice Robinson cut off his dread, so he's got new serious Juice Robinson. And uh, we saw Juice kind of overturning a lot of his flipping sentons. Uh, There was a funky little um, flip from from the uh, entrance lighting rig. Uh, WCW Nitro style, in which Juice overflipped that. Moxley barely, like, kind of caught him. I thought Juice broke his tailbone or something there. Uh, there was a table spot on the outside where Juice wanted to do his flipping senton and just completely flips over Moxley, and the, of course the table does not break. Uh, Juice even says, I'm gonna break this fucking table. Um, they each go through a table once. Uh, Moxley eventually does... Uh, hit the double arm DDT, then he does an uh, elevated double arm DDT, very much reminiscent of the Executioner uh, from Edge way back in the day of the early 2000s. So, Moxley, new U.S. champion, and uh, he will not be at the first day of the G1 in Dallas um, due to the AEW contractual obligations of being uh, New North America North America exclusive or U.S. exclusive, one of those two. I mean, business-wise, it makes sense, but kind of odd on New Japan to not have their U.S. champion at the U.S. show. Odd. And then Juice Robinson loses his title yet again in quick manner. So he may have like the most, or I think he has the most days as U.S. champion, but he seems to lose that title a lot. If we can associate this title with Juice Robinson, I think that's a good thing, though. And then the best of the Super Junior Finals. Will Ospreay versus my man Shingo Takagi. Shingo Takagi going undefeated in the blocks. Will Ospreay seemingly coming from behind and having just amazing match after amazing match, amazing match. Shingo beating beating the piss out of the juniors. Uh, 
This was a 33-minute, 36-second affair. And I could not take my eyes off of everything that was happening. Nothing I could say could do this match justice. Utterly. Oh, boy. Kitty, come on. Come on, just walk over the headphone cord. Jeez. <laughs> Will Ospreay defeats Shingo Takagi. My God. Uh, the finish was Ozcutter uh, keeps it on Stormbreaker. So, <clears throat> it took a lot to keep Shingo down. Shingo finally takes his first pin in New Japan after like 84 matches or whatever the number was. Uh, commentary did a fantastic job telling the story. Will Ospreay really spacing out his big maneuvers perfectly across the match. Shingo Takagi's clotheslines and power moves just look like it kills a motherfucker every time. It's utterly breathtaking what these two were able to gel together for this match. It is my favorite match of the year. Easily. Uh, it's, it's a mixture of that Dragon Gate style from Shingo with the hard-hitting clotheslines. With this new age, uh, high-flying maneuvers of Will Ospreay, right? And Will Ospreay's facial expressions, and, uh, you know, I love how he does, always, now, now it's just like a new thing, where uh, he'll reverse, like, the opponent's big move, and he'll always land on his feet. And then he'll just stand there, like, all proud, and slowly turn his head, meanwhile the other guy's like, he landed on his fuck feet. I've seen some people don't like it. They think it's like overly dramatic, but come on, have some fun. It's like super anime style. It's 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 almost like a showdown in a movie. It's it's cool. Come on. Have some fun with it. So go out of your way to watch this match. It's like the best one of the year. So easily. You just get enamored with the flow of everything. Ugh. All right, moving on to the Dominion. I got I got speed this bitch up. Dominion. John Moxley kills Shota Amino in less than four minutes. Really funny because he even takes him to the back uh, post match promo where he's like holding him up. Shota Shota Amino's like knocked out. His eyes are like whitened over. <laughs> he kind of takes him under his wings. Like, come on, uh, uh, much sake time. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, Shingo Takagi gets a uh, good win over Satoshi Kojima, um, so he gets his he gets his win over a heavyweight, which is proper good match, hard hitting. I liked it. Eleven minutes, fourteen seconds. Uh, we get our continuing story of of uh, we get a tag match of Liger and Yoshihashi. They defeat Suzuki Goon of Minoru Suzuki and Zack Saber Jr. A shock pin of Yoshihashi versus ZSJ. Uh, 9 minutes, 39 seconds, so it's not, you know, your typical 10-minute match. I don't like this prospect of Yoshihashi, Zack Sabre Jr. I don't like it. Uh, Yoshihashi is going for not only the Rev Pro heavyweight title, or the British heavyweight title, but he's also, like, goading, I don't know, I, I don't remember if this happened on the show, or Kizuna Road, but he goads Zack Sabre Jr. putting his G1 spot on the line. So I'm like, dear God help us if Yoshihashi beats Zack Sabre Jr., I'm 99.9% sure that's not going to happen because Yoshihashi has nothing going for him. <laughs> he just doesn't have it. 
And then we have our continuing story of Liger and Misu um, going up against each other, leading into some sort of match in the future. Uh, possibly retirement versus retirement match or something like that. And Minoru Suzuki is livid that he wasn't, that he's not going to be in the G1. So we got this cool, cool two stories going on with Liger and then Minoru Suzuki calling arms to the Suzuki Goon army uh, to riot, basically. So he's not happy. I love it. Good story. Um, trio's match of Tanahashi, Robinson, and Taguchi defeating Bullet Club, Chase Owens, Jay White, Taiji Ishimori. We know who ate the pin there. Now on to the more important matches. Ishii defeats Taichi in the open weight title match. Ishii gets a good match out of Taichi. I know Taichi's a wrestling god, but Ishii made the god look better. Um, 16-minute match. It was fine. Uh, Ishii's a really good worker. He didn't have to do his kick out of a thousand finishers thing and no sell it at the end. Uh, that's the only part of Ishii I just can't seem to get into. Sometimes it works. More often than not with me, it doesn't work. It worked in this match. Uh, Girls of Destiny uh, retained the tag titles against Evil and Sonata. So that happened. It is it is good to note that at Kizuna Road, um, Roppongi 3K lost the junior tag titles to... Ishimori and El Fantasmo. So, I watched that match. It was good. Recommend it. Junior heavyweight title match. Dragon Lee champion defending against best of the Super Juniors winner Will Ospreay. And this wasn't as good as the Shingo Takagi match. I don't think it was good as the Shingo Takagi Dragon Lee match. But, on par? No. No, I would say this was better than the Shingo Dragon Lee match. Yes. I might have to rewatch it. <laughs> rewatch the Shingo Dragon Lee and compare. But anyways, Will Ospreay wins again. 20-minute match. Hits that magic number. I would say this is five stars. Uh, Will Ospreay is bell to bell right now in 2019. The best wrestler like it's no doubt in my mind this dude just put on a clinic at the best of super juniors final he just put on a clinic at the best of the super juniors in all his matches not a single one was bad and now he puts in another classic against dragon lee uh dragon lee i do love his shibata repertoire of paying homage to him i love that in his in his in his arsenal uh Again, uh, you know, the, the the crazy moment in this was definitely Dragon Lee's suicide dive torpedo style, where he, like, flies almost into the crowd. Nuts. They did a lot of crazy high-flying maneuvers, but everything was... It felt safer, right? Um, even that torpedo suicide dive, like, the land was right, you know, at first glance, it may may look like Dragon Lee landed on his neck. He actually didn't. He was caught fine, landed softly. It was great. Um, so I think that's why that's what separated this match from say Dragon Lee against Hiromu, where they killed they try to kill each other every match. And speaking of killing each other every match, Tetsuya Naito defeats Kota Ibushi for the Intercontinental Title in 22 minutes six seconds. Uh, <clears throat> very much. Um, 
torn on this match. On one hand, I was entertained. On the other hand, they're going to kill each other. And their matches are progressively getting worse. And Naito is fucking hurt. This is a dude that's moving at two miles an hour and trying to still hit all of the same moves. There's like seven spots in this match where they land on their fucking heads and necks. It's gross. And it reminds me way too much of the 90s All Japan where and the early Noah where um, like Misawa and Kobashi and all those guys would go out of their way to do moves where they'd land on their neck all the time. And it's to get that big ooh and ah out of the crowd and get them into it more. Like, it was proven to work, but the consequence is too high, right? Uh, all those All Japan and early Noah guys are either in wheelchairs now or they're dead. So, Naito and Ibushi doing these matches like this and getting progressively more and more dangerous, it almost scares me too much to, like, truly take it in and enjoy it. Like, I liked their G1 encounter. That was cool. There was a couple neck spots that scared me. And then their New Japan Cup match was, again, entertaining, and they got a little worse. This one definitely crossed the threshold. You know, that third time's the charm? I don't know. It's the infamous now German suplex spot of Naito German suplex Coda uh, on the apron where I guess Coda was supposed to do a like land on his stomach on the floor. But because he looked behind him, his neck just came in contact with the apron real bad. And then right after that, Naito does a poison Rana on Ibushi on the top rope. So... I'm just like, why? <laughs> it makes no sense to me. And they did like three other, three, four other moves. No, I counted seven in the match where they landed on their head and neck. Uh, how both guys aren't incredibly more injured than they are is beyond me. They're lucky. Uh, I really hope they don't have another match together now. And that's sad to say because I loved their G1 encounter so much. And then, as I've seen the next two matches, I don't want to see him wrestle anymore. It's like Dragon Lee and Hiromu. They just, they're just going to kill each other. I don't want to see them kill each other. I want to see him continue wrestling. Uh, anyways. Okada defeats Jericho in the main event for the heavyweight title in 25 minutes, 43 seconds. Uh, Chris Jericho, Bruiser Brody style. A lot of people didn't like this match. Um, I could see it flowing real slow. And drawn out, considering uh, they just saw two straight matches of fucking high-flying, especially in the Osprey-Dragon Lee match of Mastery, I will say. Um, I liked it. I I really liked this match. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, Jericho taking on this Bruiser Brody persona is really good for uh, his age and to adjust to this new style. So... It, and it's different from what you see in New Japan, right? It really reminds me of the old early 90s, like, Vader and Stan Hansen brawls and Bruiser Brody of the past, right? How that, they would brawl in the crowd, they would spit in the crowd, they would get heat, and Jericho's getting heat. It, he's su- he's an old school heel in, in this case. 
Um, he never hit his Judas effect, which uh, I'm a fa- I'm a fan of because he's Mister Reinvention, right? And he's in like this thick muscle shape, right? And he's putting out these MMA. So he's he's doing all this MMA work. So he's adding these MMA type moves to his arsenal. So he's still busting out classic Jericho, right? The uh, guy on the apron, springboard dropkick, kicks him the outside. Lion salt. Uh, walls of Jericho, the lion tamer. Uh, he's hitting code breakers, right? And and he's also adding the characters to go against his opponents, the pain maker. Like, the character work is all there and it's phenomenal throughout all those matches. Uh, where it might be overdoing it a little bit is when he's doing these same spots over and over again, such as, you know, taking the ca- taking the uh, the camera and flipping it off and... Um, so maybe maybe change. I I would I think my one complaint is is the overuse of those things. So perhaps you know maybe doing what Kagetsu does in Stardom is uh, different types of antics and you know spread spread them out a little bit more. Do you know don't use them in every match situation kind of deal. And um, we got to see a different Okada, which I was very happy to see. We always see Okada in these. Uh, you know, five-star classic matches where it's just a wrestling match, right? And that's not a bad thing. Um, but seeing Okada in a brawl, you know, made made me uh, look at the wrestler differently, right? How's he gonna How's he gonna overcome this new opponent? Much like the Zack Saber Jr. match we saw last year, where uh, Zack is such a technical ground-based guy and limb work dude, where Okada's never faced that. I, I like watching different matches like this, different matchups, different styles. You know, um, Joey Janela against Bobby Guns earlier from WXW. Uh, the only difference was I wasn't convinced Joey Janela was going to win it all, right? Uh, was I convinced Jericho could win this match? Sure. Because then maybe we could get more AEW New Japan uh, situation there. Uh, well, the, the Okada wins via a roll-up at the end. Um, which was the exact same type of pin, which was the first fall in the Omega 2 out of 3 falls Dominion match last year. So I really liked the homage finish and the shock finish. So that's another thing. We always see the Rainmaker like end the match, right? When Okada wins. It's good to see a different finish every now and again as well. It keeps you fresh and on your feet. Like, yes, it can, a match can uh, end at any moment. You know, I, I thought this was good booking. I was entertained the whole time. Uh, and it was nice to see an alternative than guys dropping each other on their necks the whole time. Uh, a favorite spot in this match was definitely the Okada going for um, the running uh, leap over the guardrail clothesline. And Jericho catches him with a codebreaker. I love that. So uh, Jericho still has it. He's approaching. He's 48 years old. Uh, with this new style, he's definitely given himself uh, more time in the ring. He hasn't he hasn't truly slowed down because he's still one of the best performers in the world. I loved it. And then uh, we had G1 announcements made. Um, Osprey's in the G1. That was announced. He also announced he's moving to Japan uh, full-time. So him and B. Priestley are together in Japan full-time. That's really nice. Shingo's in the G1, so his match, his win over Kojima solidified that much more. Moxley's in the G1, so the U.S. champion's there. And then 
Kenta. Fucking Kenta showed up with Shibata in tow. Uh, and he's announced for the G1. He's going to wrestle the style of Kenta, not that shitty Hideo Itami. <laughs> and what's interesting, I, I uh, there was an interview I watched of Kenta, um, you know, answering questions. And uh, they asked him, like, what did he like most about, like, WWE? And he said nothing. Like, especially 205 Live. Nothing. And he was frustrated. He said uh, he was frustrated and sick of being told how to wrestle. Right? He wasn't allowed to be himself. He he uh, he was told he, he couldn't do these and he had to do those. I spoke about that earlier. And that's kind of where this where that stemmed from was this whole Kenta interview. Uh, the My biggest question is, uh, will Kenta's body hold up? In the G1, that is uh, that is my biggest uh, concern with Kenta. Um, the finals are gonna probably come down to in Block A, Okada Ibushi. In uh, Block B, uh, my money's on Naito and Jay White. Uh, Osprey and Shingo are in opposite blocks. I quite like that. Um, little story there is who's gonna get more wins, Osprey or Shingo? That's gonna be interesting. Uh, how's Moxley and Kenta going to be booked? That's a, that's a crapshoot. I would, I would prefer if Kenta's body holds up, he, um, loses to Ibushi on, on one of those nights. And, uh, that leads to kind of a tiebreak situation. Ibushi wins, right? Um, so I'd like to, I, I, I see Ibushi, Jay White in the finals and Ibushi, winning the G1. That's what I see. Uh, I personally would have Jay White win the G1 this year. He's already champion. Get him the G1. Um, but, you know, Tokyo Dome, Ibushi being the guy. You know, I, I see... That's my pick. Jay White, Ibushi final. Ibushi wins. And I only say that because I don't want to see Ibushi Naito in the final. I do not want to see a fourth encounter but with those two. All right. So there we are. There's my G1 prediction. WCW. Coming to a close here. My God. Hey, 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 all right. <clears throat> Time for WCW Nitro, everybody. June 29th, 1998, we're approaching the Great American, uh, no, uh, Bash at the Beach. We're, uh, we're a couple weeks out of Bash at the Beach, 1998. Uh, we start with recounting Thunder, where DDP said, him, the mailman, Carl Malone, the uh, famous Utah Jazz power forward, and a giant 18-wheeler are on their way to Florida to give Hogan and Rodman a big surprise. So they're implying that from Thursday on Thunder, from all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah, they're driving this 18-wheeler, him and Mail and Carmel, <laughs> all the way to fucking Florida. It's a long-ass trip. 
It's nonsense. Uh, Nitro proceeds to show the big rig traveling throughout the night, making its way closer to the arena in Tampa Bay, of all places. My God. Uh, it, it's way overproduced. There's a helicopter fucking shot, and it's following this tr- this 18-wheeler. Like, good God. Anyways. Uh, cuts to Hogan and NWO Hollywood, all prepping with crowbars and pipes to give DDP and Malone a good beatdown when they arrive. So, got the whole crew there. Mean Gene out interviews Stevie Ray, of all people, and Stevie Ray calls for a tag team match between Harlem Heat and Mongo McMichael and Chris Benoit tonight. So, still no match. We get a lot of previews. Mean Gene also then interviews football player Kevin Green. So remember last week what happened. Basically the same thing as last time with the whole Goldberg was my roommate thing, and we're going to show Hennig and Giant at the pay-per-view what's what. So. We get a starting match, finally, of... Canyon versus Horace with Lodi. No good signs of note from Lodi this time, but the fans have plenty. Many a South Park signs and 420 weed signs and Goldberg. Not the weed ones stood out quite a lot on the show. Uh, our second match is... Oh, by the way, Canyon wins. Uh, our second match is Eddie Guerrero, all nervous about Chavo, facing off against Little Dragon, who, whom I am positive is Dragon Kid from Dragon Gate, uh, that just lost to Pac last month in a title match. And so, uh, Chavo does come out after a few minutes writing a, uh, like a, <clears throat> a, 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 the horse on the, on the stick. It's very strange and kind of makes sense with Chavo's crazy character going on. This leads to distracting Eddie. Uh, Little Dragon gets the win. So for the second straight week, Crazy Chavo gets to Eddie. No Monopoly uh, mic references this week. Chris Jericho is backstage wanting Ultimo Dragon to beat Malenko so bad. And then he will reward him with a Cruiserweight title shot. There we go. Sumo Fuji and Judo Suwa coming out. Both students of Ultimo Dragon. Uh, little note, Fuji helped start Dragon Gate, and Suo was a Noah wrestler mainstay later in the early 2000s. So, uh, there's some history there for you. They get the honor of facing the Giant, accompanied by Kurt Hennig and Ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah, it's a double chokeslam squash match. That's about it. Afterwards, Hennig calls out Green, and then calls him a non-athlete football player. Green comes out, and Goldberg follows Big Pop. They chase out the NWO, and the place erupts in Goldberg chants. Just nonsense hot. Inside two weeks from the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, and we still only know two matches. DDP and Malone versus Hogan and Rodman, and then the Goldberg-Green-Giant-Hennig match. So, two celebrity matches on this card. Just, uh... Just take that in for a second. Gets mainstream attention, that's for sure. Hogan-Bischoff time. Good God. At this point, 1998, I fucking hate these Hogan-Bischoff segments. They're every goddamn week. Sometimes twice a week on Thunder when I'm watching that show. So very bored, and I just don't care. 
because it's the same thing. Let me tell you something, brother, yada yada. I'm gonna win this match, yada yada. Catch Fraser too, yada yada. I win, brother. Bischoff laughing. That Those are the promos. It's the same fucking thing. Anyways, there's a couple good one-liners in there every now and again, but yeah, it's the same thing. Next match is a very out-of-it-looking British Bulldog with Jim Anvil Neidhart versus the team of Sting and Lex Luger. Now there is a such thing as Wolfpack rules. What I mean is the Freebird rules. You know, all, in this case, all you have to do is be a member of the Wolfpack and you can be Sting's tag team partner with the tag title. So we went through this whole rigmarole about earning the right to choose your tag partner for the tag title. And not more than two weeks later, anybody Sting, uh, anybody Sting chooses in the Wolfpack can be his tag title partner. What the fuck? This actually made me mad. Because I liked the highlight of the tag titles and to pick the partner and the animosity and the heel turn. Not mentioning Scott Hall at all still bugs me. Um, but yeah, like... What what a waste. Uh, match wasn't very good. Only makes me question why Bret Hart isn't with his Hart Foundation buddies. And he's in this NWO doing nothing. <clears throat> Saturn versus Reese with Lodi. Lodi has good signs this time. One such as Reese Gargoyle Killer. Because Saturn's known as the Gargoyle. Saturn at least hits a DVD on Reese to win, and at least looks strong, unlike Hooventude did at Spring Stampede. But alas, this goes down exactly like Canyon before it. Flock beat down Raven DDT, quote the Raven, nevermore, nevermore. I failed to mention that earlier, but yeah, there, there, uh, the Flock came out and beat the shit out of Canyon. So we have two Raven and Flock beatdowns, and Raven... Cutting his weird notice me promo. I do like Raven though in the flock. I really do. And I like the Canyon story. He's booked strong, Saturn heel turn. This all makes sense. Raven is everything around Raven I really like with WCW right now. Now here's a familiar face El Vampiro makes his debut. Yes, Vamp, that Vampiro. He's against Brad the Jobber Armstrong. In all fairness, Vamp looked very good in this match. He's quick, and he hits a devastating-looking Michinoku driver. Like, he spikes. He spikes Brad Armstrong. Yeah, he's quick. He's lean. Uh, he's pretty cool. I, 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 hope, uh, I hope I get to see more of Vamp, Vampiro. Spoiler, we do. <laughs> so... Uh, more of Ultimo Dragon students come out. This time it's Tokyo Magnum and Shima Nobunaga. Yes, that Shima. The Shima from OWE, Dragon Gate, and AEW now. <laughs> they both look like Japanese dancing strippers. Tokyo Magnum and, and Shima Nobunaga. They get the honor of taking on and losing to Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. Of course Shima eats the pin. 
Then we hear the mixed rendition of Disco and Wright's music as they dance terribly in victory. Not a good night for the school of Ultimo Dragon as they move to 0 and 3. Tisk tisk. I do like the way Tokyo Magnum and Shima move in the ring, but they got fucked over by the dancing fools. Dean Malenko versus Ultimo Dragon, so here here we go. Will Dean Malenko get beaten so bad by Ultimo that he won't make it to Bash at the Beach? This is from Malenko costing uh, Ultimo Dragon the Cruiserweight title versus Jericho from Thunder last week on Interference. Uh, it was a good match until the Interference part. Because Jericho calls out his dead father igniting fury in Malenko. Really hitting home this dead father thing. But at least the positive light on the cake is Dean Malenko has a personality now. So same thing here. Uh, same thing happens here at the end after a great exchanged match. I fucking loved the Ultimo Dragon Dean Malenko exchanges. Jericho comes out, taunts Malenko's dead father. Malenko gives chase, giving Ultimo Dragon the count out victory. Commentary at least acknowledges that Dragon should get a title shot, right? I think he should. He just beat the number one contender. <laughs> Moving backstage, cut of Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit talking about the reformation of the Four Horsemen. But Arn Anderson isn't so sure. He's having second thoughts. He's old. He's retired. Move on without him, he says. Benoit chases the camera away. Chris Benoit and Mongo McMichael versus Harlem Heat. Not a good match. Not a good match at all. It's very slow. It's sloppy. I didn't like it. Bret Hart comes out, hits Booker T with a chair again, and McMichael gets the pin. So we're continuing this whole Bret Hart Booker T storyline. And I guess there's some Chris Benoit mixed in with there as well. <clears throat> uh, Malenko finds Jericho uh, and Dragon arguing in the locker room and beats the shit out of them both. Jericho escapes, luckily. So we have continuity going here, but there's a lot of lot of lot of stuff happening. <laughs> Uh, still waiting for the 18-wheeler to arrive as we get the fifth helicopter check-in of the night. Yes, five. I'm not recounting. One, two, three, four. So, now for the worst segment I have ever seen doing this retro recap to date. And that is Eric Bischoff's rip-off Late Show Tonight set. Two weeks ago, we got a kind of funny... Well, hello, kitty cat. He wants to play. <laughs> uh, yeah, two weeks ago we got a kind of funny Hollywood star Scott Steiner video, lame funny interview. Uh, it didn't last very long; it was like four minutes. Um, getting big pump pump Hollywood star Scott Steiner with this bad promo. Now we are going full ham, and it's fucking awful. We have a full band, sound drops, everything. This is a full like David Letterman, uh, Jay Leno set. Um. The crowd hates this. They're booing. They're saying this sucks. Bischoff uh, talks to Steiner uh, with Miss Elizabeth just hanging out on a chair to the side, just smiling. Uh, asking about the big publicity tag match. 
Steiner talks absolute nonsense about Rodman, and he's a wild card, and Bischoff goes along with it. Uh, Then they talk briefly about Steiner's next Hollywood projects. Who fucking cares? It just goes on and on and on. I don't want to see more of this, but I know this continues, unfortunately. Mean Gene with Booker. Two segments after the match. So weird placement. Kind of reminds me of Raw and SmackDown today. Regardless, Booker T cuts a good promo, calling out Bret Hart, calling him a sucker. And can you dig that? Bret Hart said Bret Hart actually comes out and he says, Bring all he has to San Diego. So I guess we are getting a TV title match of Booker T versus Bret Hart at Bash of the Beach. So that should be exciting. Stevie Ray, though, is not happy. He says, why don't you just jump Hart and take care of him? So, Stevie Ray has been arguing with Booker T a lot lately, wanting him to do heel things. What this leads to, we'll see in time. Michael Buffer introduces the main event, which I swear was never advertised or announced on the show at all. It's 104-0 Goldberg defending his U.S. title versus Glacier, of all people. Of course, the match goes 2 minutes and 25 seconds, 25 seconds shorter than the entrances. Oh no, it goes 225, it was shorter than the entrances combined. The crowd is loud, loves all this, the pop, the pop is crazy for Goldberg, it's crazy to watch this back. How just nonsense popular Goldberg was. Anyways, finally the last segment. So Goldberg was not the main event. We get the last segment. Hogan and Bischoff out yet again for the third time. Jesus Christ. They seemingly stall because the 18-wheeler is not there yet. So doing yet another Hogan promo as cameras are following the 18-wheeler into the arena, supposedly full of chairs, mind you. It pulls in. All of NWL Hollywood crowbars and chains and whatnot scatter immediately for no reason as the 18-wheeler stops. They just run away. DDP and Malone come out from the cabin of the semi, each with a single chair, and they leave the 18-wheeler. So all of this buildup of this 18-wheeler coming to the arena all night, coming from Thunder, filled with weapons... And they're going to take it to the NWO. They just simply pull into the parking lot, get out of the car with a single chair, and walk inside. Very fast, mind you, because they are over time. They get into the ring behind uh, Bischoff and Hogan, catching them by surprise. They clang the chairs together, scaring them. Bischoff is immediately kicked out uh, as Hogan pushes him into them. Uh, Malone has a huge smile on his face. He's loving every minute of this. I will admit, when I was a child, I loved this too, because I am a huge Utah Jazz fan and love Carmelo to death. So he scoop slams and clotheslines Hogan twice, which, of course, I pop for. I still had a smile on my face watching this, because, again, big Malone fan. Uh, DDP cuts a fun promo. You can tell Malone is loving this as well. He loves saying, uh, feel the bang, and and all of DDP's catchphrases. He's basking in the moment. Best moment, easily, of this last last sequence of events is the fan hitting Hogan in the back with a full 
thing of soda. And the crowd pops really hard for it. So, um, weird way to finish off Nitro with this promo and it goes off the air. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's doing its job, publicity job of getting, you know, everyone hyped up for this tag match of Rodman and Hogan against Malone and DDP. Uh, it's good that the baby faces came out on top for this one. Uh, but what are we doing with Goldberg at Bash of the Beach other than this whole green fight? I don't know if that's going to do much for Goldberg. Um, Booker T and Bret Hart could be a good, should be a good uh, singles match encounter. But more or less, I'm just assuming what's going to happen at the show. Uh, are we going to see a the actual reformation of the Four Horsemen? Is Ric Flair going to come back? Uh, what's going on with Stevie Ray? Is he possibly going to turn heel uh, on Booker T? Because this whole Bret Hart thing could be changing his mind. Um, you have all of Ultimo Dragon's students and him just looking foolish uh, in the undercard. No Lucha Libre on this card, by the way. Must must note that must note that I guess the closest we got is Vampiro, who's a Canadian, in the Lucha Libre style. So there's that. Um, so next episode's the go home show for Bash of the Beach. I guess we'll see what happens there. Uh, on to the wrestler rankings. Uh, just going through it really quick: fifteen Jay White, fourteen Dragonoff, thirteen Brian Cage, twelve Mystico. 11, Juice Robinson, 10, Cavanario, 9, Moxley, 8, uh, Vikingo, 7, Laredo Kid, 6, Marios Alani. Yeah, it's probably pretty high, but he's really impressed me. 5, Okada, 4, Jericho, 3, Dragon Lee, 2, Shingo, 1, Osprey. Osprey pulls further ahead still. Um, 10 uh, for the women is Solo Darling, as I gotta really make that clear. Uh, 9, Ozaki, 8, Kagetsu, 7, Death, Yonayama-san, uh, 6, Hazuki, 5, Julia, 4, Amal Winchester, uh, 3, Takiya 2, Konami, and 1, Chris Statlander. Whoa, I forgot to put Maya in there. My bad. Maya is number 2, actually. So, that moves Solo off the list. Wow, I totally forgot to put her in there. There we go. Maya Ukihi, number two. So that moves everyone uh, down a spot. Alrighty. Well, this was a nice, successful, shorter rendition of the Red Leaf Cast. This was episode 33, Superstars of Dominion. And I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you next time.